Why? It's a simple question that has no simple answers. You're not alone in these questions. In this message, Pastor Andy McGowan is going to close off this series with our final question. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again, Kenosha City Church. Good morning to everybody online. And again, happy Mother's Day. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're excited to be with you on this Mother's Day and to anybody who's been motherly to somebody as well. Uh, and we are going to end this mini-series, Ever Wonder Why, asking a question, why at times does God seem distant? And by the way, next week, next week we continue, we pick up our series in Revelation. So mark that down, don't want to miss that because we're going to get into some heavy stuff there. Wanted to save that for one week. I didn't want to talk about the world's destruction on Mother's Day, all right? So anyway, you know, it being Mother's Day, I thought it'd be all right to talk about my mom a little bit, all right? We all, you know, Mother's Day, we're like, yeah, Mother's Day is just a Hallmark holiday. It is whatever it is. And the thing is, is that we're all, we're all here, right? We've all been born, which means this day has significance for you in one way or another, all right? And so it's okay to acknowledge this day. It's okay to celebrate this day. And some of you have a great relationship with your mom. Some of you, your moms have passed on. Some of you didn't have good relationships with your mom. But the reality is you're here, all right? I'm here. That means that this day has significance. And so, and I hope that you are able to uh, phone your mom today, say hello to her, and... Um, and show her uh, that uh, you love her, all right? Well, my mom is an amazing, amazing woman. Uh, she's an amazing woman because she's, she's now, I believe, a four-time cancer survivor, all right? And so she's been in the midst of a cancer battle. Some of you have known this. And so you can continue to pray. She gets scans every three months now. She is a fighter. And the re she has to be a fighter because she raised two McGowan boys and a McGowan sister who, you know, she can hold her own because she was raised with uh, my brother Aaron and myself. Some of you know Aaron because he works in this area every once in a while and he comes here. And uh, I always say he's me times five, but that's debatable, I guess. I don't know. But my mom had to put up with us. Uh, my, my mom, she always... She, she had to put up with us and know how to raise us. And she had to keep a good eye on us to make sure that we wouldn't die, all right? We were children of the 1980s and 1990s, very different than today. We would be considered today what's called a free-range kid. You know what a free-range kid is? Anybody? Hey, Mom, can I go out and play? Yeah, you can go out and play. All right, see ya. You're out the door. Where are you going? She don't know. When are you coming back? She don't know. You're out playing. That's, that's called free range. They'll get you in jail today, right? <laughs> but listen, that's, maybe we should return to that way. I don't know, all right? That's not the purpose of this message. All I'm saying is I appreciate that. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, when, when, we, when, we, when I went out to play, I'd say, hey, Mom, when, when should I be home? Because you need to be home when the streetlights turn on, all right? And so when the streetlights, if they were on and I wasn't home, man, I was in trouble. And usually that was at 8 o'clock at night. And so listen, it didn't matter. She had no idea where we were at. Uh, she didn't have GPS. She didn't have any of those things. I mean, I could have been kidnapped for all she knew. But hey, the streetlight's not on, so I'm okay yet, right? My mom let me walk to school alone at six years old. Somebody's saying, wow, that was normal in Iowa, right? We, I'd see five-year-olds and six-year-olds, and we'd be walking. And, and, and how, how did my mom know I was okay? She would stand uh, at the door and she'd wave at me and I'd wave back. She'd wave at me again and I'd, I'd wave back and, until I couldn't see her any longer, right? And she knew I was, I was all right. And it worked. 
in, in my kindergarten year alone, it worked. I only didn't go to school once because I decided to go play in the park. And only once got beat up by the neighborhood bully, all right? I avoided him until one day he's like, hey, I've never gotten you before. I'm like, oh, no, right? Uh, it's unthinkable today that we would allow free-range kids. Today, on the flip side, our poor kids, right, we GPS them, right? We, tr- we, we buy the little Apple tags and we put it in their back pants. What are you doing, Mom? Don't worry about it, all right? Like, we're, we're, we're tracing and tracking wherever they are at. We hover over, over all their decisions, it's what's been called and coined the, the helicopter parent, you know? Or maybe, maybe we can even make this a little bit more 2022. It's the drone parent. You're just kind of hovering over them. The drone parent. You know the drone parents. You got a coach on the team, but they're not really the coach on the team. The drone parent is the coach on the team, right? <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, for, for anybody that's teachers in here, you know who the drone parents are, right? They're always calling you up saying that you, you didn't grade the essay correctly. But listen, you think the, the, the drone or the helicopter parents, you think that they would just last in elementary school. But no, they go up through middle school. They go up to high school. They go up through college, right? They're calling up the college professors. And, and they're saying, hey, you know, I, 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 think, I think this grade could have been better. Or they're calling up RAs. You know, I think the room conditions could be better. Oh, never mind that they're 23 years old, Right? So, Mom, this morning, I want to tell you, thank you so much for not being a helicopter parent. I didn't die. I'm here. I think I thrived. And I want to thank you because, you know what, the reason why I'm here today is because I had a mom who loves Jesus and led me in the ways of the things of the Lord and was unrelenting in that. And so I want to thank my mom for that. I was free range. Thank you for that. But I thank you most importantly because of your heart for Jesus. And listen, church. Whether you are a single dad, you're, you're a nuclear family of a father and mother, you're a single mother, no matter where you're at, I want you to know today, teach your children the way they should go. Amen? But you know, my mom, being a wonderful mom that she is, she struggled for many years with, with Mother's Day. When I was in grad school, my parents divorced, and it was an ugly divorce. I mean, it wasn't... By the way, what is an amicable divorce? You hear about that? We just want to make the divorce amicable. It's like, I, I, there was an old movie. Don't watch it. It's terrible. It's called, uh, I had to watch it when I was in grad school doing my counseling uh, classes. And we had to watch this movie called The War of the Roses, all right? Um, it was like from the 1980s. Don't watch it. It was, it was like, why are you making us watch this thing? And so, but the whole idea was, is that the beginning of the movie, these two people said, we want to have an amicable divorce, and, and by the end of the movie, they destroy each other. And basically, they're like, there's no such thing as an amicable divorce. It's always very, very messy, all right? And so d- divorce is, is, is a tough thing. Maybe many of you are in here today, you've experienced that. And my mom experienced not just a messy divorce, but a very messy, messy. It broadsided her like a train. And by God's grace today, I want you to know this. Both my mom and dad are following the Lord. But when we make decisions or things happen in life uh, that are outside of what God would want for us, sometimes there's a damage trail. And when there's a damage trail, I want you to know that some of you, you might be feeling this this morning. You feel like, man, I've just been walking through this tornado of life. I want you to know that we serve a God of second and third and fourth and 77th chances, no matter what situation you are in life. When God says, hey, I'm going to pick you up and you can begin to walk forward, you can walk forward. Do you believe that, church? And so if you're a person today specifically of divorce, because I mentioned it, but it could be anything else, uh, you're not a second-rate Christian citizen. We're citizens by grace. We're grace citizens. 
Great citizens doesn't mean that you just go and do it again. No, great citizens means that you get to walk forward even though you've messed up in the past. Does that make sense? And so uh, my mom, she, she, she found herself divorced after 30 years of marriage. It was messy. She, we lost our child at home. Um, she lost a lot of her savings. And she was alone six hours from her nearest relatives. And she felt like she, she told me, it's like, I can't go to Mother's Day. It's not that she wasn't a mother any longer, but she felt like she was a mother who was a second-rate Christian because she found herself in a divorce. And for 10 years, I had to take phone calls from my mom on this day and to encourage her to say, Mom, you're not alone. God is with you. I know I'm far. I'm coming to be, we would often get in the car after church and spend the, the afternoon with her. But it was, it was often Mother's Day after Mother's Day, week after week, sometimes month after month, sometimes in the long, dark days of the winter where I had to remind her that, Mom, you are not a second-rate citizen. You're, you're, you are, you're a citizen of the grace of Jesus Christ. And no matter what circumstance that you find yourself in, no, no matter... No matter how hard it is or how easy it is, God is here and he's here right now with you. You know, as after 10 years, I remember it was right before the breakthrough came, my mom reached a point and goes, Andy, I just don't know. I don't know if I, 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 she was just kind of in a depression, if I can just, if I can just admit that. And, and I, again, just sharing the same Bible verses. Listen, Bible verses aren't broke, we're broke, okay? And so when we're broke, guess what? We still need the unbroken Bible verses. And so I would repeat the same Bible verses over and over and over again. And it, it was, you could tell it was just soothing her soul in, the, in that moment. But I'm like, God, would you just bring a breakthrough? I didn't know what it was. What it was, though, is that my mom didn't tell me that she went on some kind of middle-aged dating Christian dating thing, all right? <laughs> my coach, a good thing she didn't tell me because I was very protective of my mom at this point. And um, she met this guy uh, that had, uh, had lost his wife and, um, um, and it, was, it was definitely a perfect match. And I remember uh, going to her wedding. Um, she's in her mid-60s going to her wedding. And, um, and, and we thought, you know, what would be a good way? She loved hot air balloons. Like, what would be just a good way to like, make this awesome. What if we had a hot air balloon land, take off land in her backyard and she can go and tether up that thing, right? Like she can realize like, guess what? You were brought low. Now you're going to be brought high, right? And so guess what? We brought it. I was trying to get that picture up there today and don't worry about it because that's, that's uh, I was traveling this week, but, but you can just imagine this giant balloon, all right, in the backyard. And it was absolutely amazing. But I want you to know this. Oftentimes when God shows his grace and he shows different things that are going to happen in your life, it's not up to what you think exactly how it's going to be. It's not in the timing that you think it's going to be all about. It's not going to be in the circumstances. And my goodness, don't compare yourself to anybody else's life because you're going to lose yourself in that comparison each and every time. And so it's in these things, it's in these predicaments in life that we find that oftentimes we don't have what we thought we were going to have. And in that, God seems really, really, really distant God, are you even listening to me? God, where are you in this situation? Some of you this morning on this Mother's Day 2022, you've lost family members. Maybe you've lost your mom. Maybe some of you, you've lost your finances. You've, you, you've, you've seen trouble brewing in the future. Your kids are, are, are not going the direction that you, you want them to be. You're not where you want to be at life. Maybe you're trying to have kids this morning. This was a really difficult morning in itself. Maybe you've made mistakes relationally in the past. And this morning, you're beating yourself up because you're asking God, what's the matter with me? Why can't I have this thing in my mind that, that I think I should have? 
And I want you to know this morning is that you aren't to beat yourself up. You see, we preach ourselves bad theology each and every day when we think that somehow that if we don't have a certain thing and when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, that somehow we've done something wrong against God or that we have to do some certain things. We become almost like spiritually OCD. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this, I do this, then maybe God will do this, right? Have you ever done that? Okay, if I read my Bible for 35 days and if I, if, I, if, I, if I pray for three hours a day here, then maybe God will be so happy with me, I can step into this season I've been praying for such a long time. Right? And then you go through all those motions and you realize it's not the way that I thought it was gonna be and God still seems really, really, really distant. So what do you do when God doesn't make sense? What do you do when he just feels out of reach? You know, maybe this is the first time you've been in church for a long time, and maybe it's been because you've, you've felt these feelings perpetually in your life. But I want you to know, God does care exactly where you're at in your life right now. He, he, he abundantly cares about every detail that your life is, is, is feeling and every detail that your, your life is about. You see, at Kenosha City Church, we admit week in and week out that we are not perfect people, but we are people, come on now, they knew, Right? where people made new through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that, we know that whatever situation you find yourself in, God can meet you there. The Bible speaks of when we feel distant. It speaks often through it. And so let's take the Psalms, for instance, Psalm 22. Psalms, for instance, it's a large collection of of God-inspired poetry. And so what we have in many of the Psalms is written by King David, King David would go to war. <laughs> I'm just going to get blunt here. He'd kill a lot of people on the war field, right? I imagine he has a blood-stained tunic. Then he goes into his tent, and the Holy Spirit comes over him, and he begins to write God-inspired poetry, of which the church in many places have been singing and made into songs, and they've been singing for thousands of years. So let's take Psalm 22, for instance. I imagine something awful was happening in life, because he gets a little extra right here in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. David is writing out of a spirit of great Lament. In fact, Jesus quotes this psalm on the cross just before he breathes his last. And he actually, Jesus is actually feeling the, the, the forsaking wrath of, of God being poured on him as he takes on the sins of the world, all right? So Jesus is actually the, the embodiment of, of feeling what it feels like to be forsaken by God. But, but David, he's in such a lament, he's in such a situation, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's such a one to where he begins to write, he's like, God, Why? Why? My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? I cry out to you by day. I cry out to you by night. Where are you? Have you ever had a moment like that? Honestly, have, have you? We're like, God, why? You know, if, if we're like, nah, never. It's like, yes, you have, Right? Sometimes we feel like we need to be like, I know I have, but my joy is in the Lord. I know our joy is in the Lord, but there's times where like, I'm confused, right? We pray to him, and it feels like there's just no movement. We try to recover from a dramatic event, and it feels like it was just yesterday, and we're not healing. 
And this is where King David was emotionally. This is what he was feeling in verses 1 and 2. But then yet, in the same psalm, in Psalm 22, he's way different. By Psalm 22, he says this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. Who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. All right, you know who I think needs help right now? It's King David. Like in the same psalm, he's saying, why, God, you've forsaken me? God, where are you? Then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, he'll listen to you, all right? Like, he, he, he hasn't hidden his, his face from you. Okay, all of Israel, God's in control. Like, what is it, David? You are, you are, you're all over the place this morning. And you know what I love about this? Ooh, this is our life, isn't it? Psalm 22 is our life. Sometimes we are completely emotionally messed up about what's going on in our life. We feel like God is so distant, but then yet we come to the realization, God, you are near. You are near. You have not hidden your face from the one crying out. You see, this is the idea that we get from Psalm 22, and it's going to propel us in the rest of our conversation this morning. It's our main point. You want to write it down, and you're taking notes. It says this. God's presence isn't dependent on your feelings. God's presence isn't dependent upon your feelings. You see, David is feeling something. He, he's feeling that God has turned his back on him. But yet, within all of the feelings that he expressed before God, he comes back to conviction. You see, our foundation is not our feelings, which can shift not just day by day, but sometimes moment by moment. No, our foundation is the word of God. Our foundation is the character of God and who God is. And so even though he's feeling these things, by verse 22, he's like, you know what, though, God, I know that you're listening. I know that you're faithful. I know that you are here. You see, our God's presence isn't dependent upon your feelings, and that is a good thing. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but our feelings don't dictate the truth. Rather, today we're going to declare his truth over our lives. Amen? Our God is near to the brokenhearted. God's presence isn't dependent on your feelings. But it is still appropriate to ask, okay, if, if I have felt feelings of God being distant, which I think all of us have, if I am feeling this morning that God is distant, if I am feeling like even maybe, you're, maybe this is your first time to Kenosha City Church, maybe you've been here for a while and you're just, you've been struggling with these things and, and, and you haven't even really told anybody, but maybe you're like, man, God seems so distant. I even just question him. The, the, the question is, okay, why? Why are you feeling these feelings? Okay, we, we know what the truth is, but, but it is an appropriate question. Why am I feeling these things? And I want to go over three reasons why, there may be more in this, I just want to simplify it down to three today. Three reasons why I have found, in my observation, why myself or anybody uh, could feel these feelings. So we're going to take a look at, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, we want to turn there. Three reasons, by the way, God may seem far, is that you over-spiritualize life, you overlook sin, or that he's overseeing your growth. All right, so let's go to Genesis chapter 12, and let's talk about our first one. The reason why God may seem far this morning is you're over-spiritualizing life. 
Now, someone like, oh, wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, maybe people aren't spiritualizing anything. Listen, we live in a very spiritualized culture. I'm not talking about biblical spiritualization. I'm talking about where people, uh, people are, are, are placing intrinsic value on things that aren't necessarily of God. But we can do that in the church as well. We can add to what God has said. We can add to what God is actually doing. Or we can have an expectation of how God should move. And when he doesn't move in that way, we miss what God's doing anyway. Does that make sense? We can over-spiritualize life. Everybody's sort of the hype man before, right? The hype man, right? Uh, if you've ever been to a concert or whatever, especially, the, you know, the hip-hop concert, yeah, you, have a, you have someone who's rapping, and then in between, in between some of the lines, you have the hype man who's like, uh, yeah, here we go, here we go, yeah! You know, just like, he doesn't, he doesn't really say much, but he, get, he gets it going a little bit, Right? And so, and then you have the hype man in other situations. Usually it's like the MC, you know. And usually it's somebody who's like, the, maybe the whole program's dragging. And he's like, all right, guys, on your feet. You know, just like, he's just, he's getting you hyped up. He's, he's making sure you don't get bored. And for whatever reason, sometimes we feel like when we're like talking to people about God or we're, or we're giving a testimony about God, that somehow we, we don't want God to be boring, right? So I'm going to hype him up a little bit, right? Or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Big God up, right? God doesn't need a hype man. He doesn't need an upgrade, right? He doesn't need our, our help to, to make him look miraculous. No, rather he needs humble people who are willing to listen. It's often seeking of the sensational. People get discouraged in the simplicity of God's voice. And they miss his voice because they're looking for something other than what God is doing. You know who is listening to God's voice, and it's really important for our discussion this morning, is in Genesis 12. We see Abram, who was later named Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Before Abraham was Abraham, his name was Abram. And he was childless. His wife was barren. That means that she was unable to have children. And whenever there were celebrations of motherhood around the country, you know they felt something was wrong with them. In fact, many people in this era believed if they were barren, it's because God had something against them. And it really, the practical reason was is that if they couldn't have children, often it meant their family line would come to an end. And so this is, you know, by the time uh, that Genesis 12 rolls around, Abram and Sarai are 75 years old, okay? I don't know what you're going to be doing at 75 or if you're 75 or older in here today, uh, but when I'm 75, I better have an RV, all right? So, you know, I, I think that's, you know, maybe an RV or, or maybe a smaller one, maybe a tent, okay, maybe a tent, I don't know. But, uh, but, but I, I'm not thinking about starting a family at 75. Mm -mm. I don't think that's a good idea. But yet God shows up. Abram is probably just giving up. He's like, yeah, I know. My life is, uh, I've lived a nice, ripe life. But at 75 years old, God audibly shows up and speaks to Abram and says, oh, you're going to be a dad. Happy Mother's <laughs> You're going to be a dad. And you're going to be a father of many nations. God was really speaking here. But it seemed unbelievable. If you're 75 years old, and you, you go to your spouse, you go to your friends, like, yeah, God spoke today. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be a dad. They're like, you might want to check the source on that one, right? 
Did you have Olive Garden last night? A little bit of indigestion at three in the morning? I'd check that first. But God told him something that's so unbelievable. It seemed impossible. In fact, it should be impossible. But what we learn from his story is that we serve an impossible God. We serve a God who takes what's impossible and he makes it possible. And listen, uh, we can't necessarily take the story and say this is exactly what's going to happen in your life. But we can take the principle that we serve a God who can do anything. And when we do that, when we pray, we can pray for anything and we can wait for him and know that God, I know that if you don't move this mountain, you can still move this hill, right? And I know that I'm going to pray that you can move the mountain. You say in scripture uh, that we can move mountains, Right? And so at 75 years old, he says, you are going to be a dad. You know, we often don't go to God because we put God in a box of what we think he can do. That he must answer prayers a certain way. He must answer prayers in a certain time frame to a certain liking. We try, we try to name it and claim it to God. You know when we try to name it and claim it to God in prayer? Listen, go to God with anything, Right? Go to God with anything. Don't be apologetic about what you pray to God, but have a humble attitude knowing that God's in charge and knows more than what we're asking. And yet, sometimes people try to name it or claim it. God, if I'm gonna get this promotion, I believe I'm gonna get this promotion. God, give me a sign, right? Give me a sign. When I, when I, when I go down to the Green Bay Road today, I wanna see five red cars. I don't know why I'm going Southern accent here. Let me see five red cars. And you know what's gonna happen? You ask God for a sign of five red cars, you know what we're going to find at Green Bay Road today? Five red cars. Oh, it's not that they weren't there before. It's that you just weren't looking for it before, right? And we have this false confirmation sometimes. We like big things up before the Lord, and, and, and we try to make our own narrative. And, and, and listen, what I want to tell you is this, is that sometimes when we get in the way of God speaking, we go some way that God had no intention for us to go. And yet, Abram, heard something so amazing. See, as human beings, we have a tendency to under-spiritualize what God has clearly said and over-spiritualize the wrong things. We tend to over-spiritualize things that to say that God is saying what he's actually not saying and then get disappointed when it doesn't happen. But in Abram's case, God said something so miraculous. So miraculous. And I want you to know today that God still speaks today. He still speaks today. How does he speak? Because I don't, I don't want you hearing this first point and thinking like I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is God doesn't speak today. He does speak today, all right? But the problem is we get in the way. So how does he speak today? He speaks by his word, number one. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What, what Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, this Bible that you have, you got it. You got everything that you need. You want to know how to be in God's will? Know this book. Well, you know, I'm just not a reader, you know. I just, I just, I just, I, listen, you're not going to know God's will. Well, you know, I just talk about it with my friends. You're going to know, it's a game of telephone, right? Go to the source. Be in God's word. Because without God's word, you don't know what you're doing or experiencing is of God. So, God speaks primarily through his word. Uh, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're given what's called the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit comes to live and indwell in you. We're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love Zechariah 4, 6. It said this, so he answered, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or might, but by my spirit. You see, oftentimes people in the Old Testament, they thought, we got the men, you know, we got the artillery. And he's like, eh, wrong. Do you got the spirit of God, all right? And so we, we can know everything we want to know about Scripture, right? We can be so naturally gifted, but we need the Spirit of God to enable us to have even the strength to obey the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God to realize that we can live this life in victory. We need the Spirit of God to be equipped by the gifts of the Spirit to build the church up. We need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us and draws us into things of, of God's truth. God also speaks by his plans, by circumstances. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is completely in control. Did you get that last part of the verse? It says, by him all things hold together. You're being held together by God. The very, the very nature of science and the, the, the laws of physics are not being held together by some kind of just invisible force. No, it's being held together by the invisible power of God. So God's completely in control. He's often, it's the control that we want to we buck and we don't want to follow. So God speaks for the first time to Abram, and he begins with the imperative, the command to go. He was to go from his country, his homeland, from his father's house to a land I will show you. God's command came with a promise, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. God is giving a promise to Abram in response to his obedience to go. And if God says go, if God says something in his word, the reasonable response is, okay, God, God tells Abram he will be going to a land that I will show you. And according to verse 3, this promise is to bless not only just his family, but the entire earth. And it will require him to move without knowing all the specifics, but yet just trusting in his word. I mean, I can imagine if, if Abram were to over-spiritualize this, if Abraham were to over-spiritualize this, he'd be like, oh, wait a minute, God. You're telling me to go. You're telling me 75 years old, I'm going to have a kid. I think I just want to like put a little fleece out here. I think I think I want to just make sure if there's 32 camels that come by uh, down the road, uh, then I'll know it's you. And then you know, I just think I'm going to ask about 33 or four or five different people uh, this. I just need to vet it a little bit, God. Okay, because I don't know where I'm going. I want all the details. I, I want I want a five point plan, at least 12 pages, single space. All right. And when I have that plan, then I'll go, God. All right. You're not going to actually have me go and not know what I'm doing. Let me sleep on it. You see, our example of, of Abraham is that he went without knowing where he was going. He was commended for not knowing where he was going. And this is where God is inviting us today. Will you be obedient to him simply because he says, do it? And Abraham went and God started moving. You know, the reason why I started off the first point with over-spiritualizing is we have competing spiritual forces in our life for God's truth and things that are not. 
And we're living in a society where people want to stand out and they want to be cute and they want to be a guru and they want to, they want to sound smart. Because uh, you know, here's the deal. We're, 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 we're never going to need an upgrade from the Bible, right? If you listen to whatever pastor, preacher, author, if, if, they're, if they're being biblical, they're getting it from the same source, right? But yet today there's this whole thing where they just want to sound so... You know, and it's like, man, sometimes we can find ideas that are really foreign to Scripture, but they sound really awesome. This over-spiritualization, this, this hunger for something that sounds different and odd and weird, it can even captivate Christians' hearts. And in that, we won't hear God's voice. So, over-spiritualizing is a big problem, and this, this is how we do it. We listen to false prophets. There's false prophets. Number one is, uh, a false prophet is other religions, other religions, uh, if, if there's a sequel to the Bible or another work uh, of God's word that's other than the Bible, I want you to know uh, that's adding to the word of God. We're told at the end of Revelation, I'll give you a spoiler here to our next series, is it says don't add to the word of God. He who adds and subtracts will be subtracted from the book of life. Whoop, don't do that. So you don't need a sequel. You don't need another testament. Other ways, though, that we do it in the church, though, is we create what's called a works-based theology where, where, okay, I know it's by grace, but we could do better. We could try harder. Try to be perfect, right? No, that's not it. Sometimes there's this two-tier Christianity. Uh, sometimes there's this two-tier Christianity where, where you have the people that are spiritual and those that are not, right? Spiritual and those that are not. Listen, here's the deal. I, you, you can quench the spirit. You can be unbiblical. You can be someone who doesn't walk by the spirit. Those are really bad things, right? We need to be full of the spirit. We need to be sensitive to the voice of God. We need to be obedient to the word of God. But listen, when we start putting labels on ourselves, like, I'm a spirit-filled person. I'm like, ah, right? You know, like, uh, we're just such a spirit-filled church. I'm like, man, whenever I, people start talking about that here, I'm like, that, that makes me nervous a little bit, right? Because I'm like, we, we need to be someone who's constantly filled with the Spirit, not, not something that's in past tense. And so this two-tier Christianity, uh, there, there just needs to be those that don't have Christ and those that do, and those that don't have Christ can't have Christ, right? That, that's what needs to be, and those that are in Christ, we need to be continually growing and being more like Christ. Amen? So other religions or things that we do with our faith, that, that's, that's a way that we can over-spiritualize it. Another one's an overact, overactive mind. This is the person who thinks everything that goes through their mind might be God. God can leave impressions in your mind. Yes, he can. God, God can speak to you. I, again, I totally believe that. But, and uh, he can place random people in your heart. And you can pray for them in specific seasons. I've, uh, that God definitely does that. But a lot of times people are making big life decisions because again, they have the Olive Garden at three in the morning and they're having acid reflux. This happened once to a student that, well, they weren't a student of Moody. They thought they were going to be a student of Moody. They believed that God was going to send them to Moody Bible Institute. So much so, they didn't even get their acceptance letter yet. God spoke to them in the middle of the night one time. I'm going to Moody. And they sold everything and moved to Chicago. They didn't get into Moody. And they were devastated. They went back home. And what devastated them is they thought, God, I thought I heard your voice. And now you feel so distant. Do I even know you? Yes, you know God. Of course you know God. 
He just didn't move in the way that you thought God thought that you thought God was going to move, right? And we have to be open to ourselves and we have to have a humble heart in ourselves that when we think God said something, that when we believe that God is going to do something and it doesn't happen, it might just be we got it wrong. It might just be uh, that, that we don't know the whole picture. It might just be there's a twist to the plot, right? But yet sometimes we get so stuck because we have such a clear vision of what God's going to do and then all of a sudden it's like, God, you didn't do it. Man, so many people get messed up with that, right? The thing is, we just have a humble heart. It's like, okay, God, I, I guess I got that wrong, but maybe, maybe, maybe you wanted me, me to be in Chicago right now. Maybe that's what I was hearing. You know, maybe, maybe, I, I don't know, right? And it's those moments that you just say, okay, God, I'm listening, I'm leaning in. I, I got that one wrong. And you don't beat yourself up for the next 15 years that you got it wrong. Like, oh, man, I just don't want to hear from God. The way I should. no. You move on. It's okay, God, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm leaning in. But sometimes we have an overactive mind. I have an overactive mind. And so when you, when you feel like God's impressing something in your heart, weigh it out. Compare it to the word of God. Share it with others. Another way that we can be a false prophet ourselves is sometimes other people's words. One of my friends in college, his now wife, uh, his wife at one time was told by three different guys in college that God told them that they were going to get married. It's like, this isn't, oh no, oh gosh, I was going to say this isn't a Mormon college. But anyway, so, um, I just said it. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Three people, right? Three people went up and said, you're going to be my spouse. They were wrong. And when this guy, when my friend Greg finally married his spouse... People were mad at him. Man, you are not in the will of God. Why? Because these people over here heard from God. Well, that's impossible. It's three of them. Hey, hey we didn't hear that for you. Well, I'm sorry, but I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get married to this person, right? He was literally being treated like he was in sin. Here's the deal. If you have the Holy... Let me just say this. And it's sometimes these individuals that want to micromanage other people's lives in the name of the Lord. It feels like they have this red line to the Lord, right? It's like, oh boy, here they come. They come into the room like, oh boy, what are they going to say now? Andy, I have something from the Lord. All right, tell them hi for me, all right? So like, you know, like, like there's, there's times where there's people that they feel like they have such a connection to the Lord. And they're doing it in a way to where they're telling you you don't, Right? First off, don't do that, because when you do, you're trying to act like a priest to other people. We don't need a priest. We need the Lord. We need the Holy Spirit, right? But secondly, I want you to know this. Not one person has a red line to the Lord. If you have the Holy Spirit, guess what you have? Bold access to the Father. Guess what you have? The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Guess what you have? The same Holy Spirit that you think the really super spiritual person has, Right? Lean into the things of the Spirit. You have the same God as they. You have the, you have the same Holy Spirit as them. I know God uh, will, will uh, give people differently. I know that God will, will speak to different people in that way. I'm not, not discounting that. What I'm discounting is the, is the attitude sometimes that we have that we have something that other people don't. And we can all fall into this way, can't we? It takes humility and it takes understanding. We need each other and we all serve the same God. We all get to play in, this, in being children of God, building up his church. Isn't that amazing? 
So, when God speaks, how do we not over-spiritualize it? Number one, does it, does it contradict Scripture? If it contradicts Scripture, throw it out. Secondly, does it build up? All right. Oftentimes, people use spiritual gifts to be a uh, spiritual hammer. Right? No, it needs to build up. You're not tearing down. You're building up. 1 Corinthians 14, 11 says, Therefore, I do not know the meaning of the language. I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker foreigner to me. So also with you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, we should be zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in the building up of the church. The church must be built up. They must be encouraged. Even the hard words. Man, I gotta just talk to this person. It's gonna be a hard word. Listen, if that person walks out that door feeling like you bludgeoned them with a hammer, you didn't build them up. You need to build them up even in the hard words. Also, does your words have accountability? Or are you just doing it yourself? You see, the Lord clearly spoke to Abram, and he could have missed it by inserting his or someone else's uh, spiritual expectations on this promise. Like, oh, wait, first you got to do this, first you got to do this. And some of us, we do this too. We place expectations on what God should say, what he should do, his timing, his, his circumstances, what he's doing in other people's lives. And we miss the simplicity of what he's doing in this situation. God wants you to believe his word this morning. With his word comes the knowledge of his closeness. And when you walk in the knowledge of his, of his closeness, you begin to feel it, at least in part. When you try to over-spiritualize life or look only for the spectacular, you will miss the supernatural whisper of the everyday. And Abraham, he heard. He heard. God's presence isn't dependent on your feelings. So don't over-spiritualize it, because when you do, you under-spiritualize what God may be doing. Secondly, the reason why God may seem far is that you may be overlooking sin in your life. So about 10 years later in this story, we see Sarai, Abram's wife. She was like, hey, um, honey, can you come in here for a second? He's like, yeah. Hey, it's Mother's Day. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's been about 10 years. Remember when you heard from God 10 years ago that uh, he was going to give us a kid? Well, I'm not getting any younger. I wasn't even young when he gave the promise. Remember, I laughed. I'm going to laugh again. Watch out. Um, I'd like God's promise to be completely fulfilled before I die. All right? Wouldn't that be good? God's I'm afraid we might die and miss this promise that he's promised us. So I have an idea. Yeah? I think we need to help God out. Yeah, we laugh at that. But we do that, though, sometimes, right? God will give us a promise, and we feel like, you know, when we read Scripture or something, like, you know, God, I think I might need to help you out with this one. You're just not doing it quick enough. You're not doing it in the way that I think is relevant enough or, 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 or my timing. So Sarah's like, I, I think we can help him out. So Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children from him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps to her, I can build a family. <laughs> what? <laughs> right? So if you've been in the church world for a long time, you're like, yeah, I know this story. No, no, no. Rediscover this. This is crazy, right? This is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, all right? So Sarai is like, Abram, I, 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 honey, I think this is, this is the plan I want. Yeah, what's your plan? How are we going to help God? I want you to sleep with Hagar. Then we can fulfill God's promise. Now, what do you think Abram's response is going to be? Oh, honey, no, never. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. I'm a man of my stature. 
God's given a promise. I would never, ever do that to you. That's a bad idea. That's what he said, right? Well, let's, let's just let the Bible speak for it. And Abram agreed. What? To what Sarai said. Again, when you rediscover scripture again for the first time, you're like, what is going on here? So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, gave her to her husband, Abram, and as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became con contemptible to her, of course. And then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for su my suffering. All right? So she had a plan. Hey, do this. He does it. They, the two women get mad at each other. Duh. Right? And then, of course, then Sarai's like, why'd you do this to me for? You're, 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 the, you're, you're the reason why I'm suffering today. Right? What Abram did was so dumb and it was sin. But it all came down from the root of, God, I think I can do your plan better. God, your promises are not coming along in the way that I think they should. God, you know what? Oh, here's the over-spiritualization coming, right? I think you want to make us happy. Right? You want to talk about the spirituality of, of culture today? Do what makes you happy. And they did. And it left them in shambles. Talk about a 1990s afternoon talk, TV talk show what happened between this family. Sarah and Abram took God's plan to their own hands with the disastrous results. And Hagar's son named Ishmael became the father of what we know as, as Islam today. Uh, they, they, they hold him to high regard. And you have Abram, Abraham's Isaac, who is held to high regard to the Jewish people today. You see, here's the deal. Oftentimes when we think that, okay, God, I'm going to tweak your promise. I'm going to tweak your plan. We feel like, <clears throat> we feel like, you know what? This is only going to affect us. If we make a mistake, who cares, right? What happens in my home, uh, it doesn't matter what you have to say about it. I'm going to do what I want to do uh, in my home. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, I, I only say and do these things in front of my friends. They don't really care, Right? Uh, if we both agree it's okay and we're ready, then let's go for it, right? Or if it makes me happy, or if I was born this way, or if I just simply want it, who are you to tell me no? And yet, it is when you fall into this sin, it's why God seems far away. Now, if God seems far away to you today, it might not be because of sin, but sin will do this. Sin will make God seem so far away. It is an intimacy killer with God. Your sin can create environments that your wife and children will have to endure. It's not just about you. It's about the people that have to live with you. Your sin will affect generations to come. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So we must wait patiently to do the right thing. And we must wait patiently for the, for, for the fulfillment of what God has said. You value the plan that God has for your life. If you're, not over, if, if you're living in sin and you're overlooking sin, you will not be able to see fully the plan that God has for your life. And the good news is this, is he's reaching out his hand this morning if you have strayed from the path in different areas of your life to get you recentered in his will. And by the way, if you're in a period of waiting, I just want to encourage you to go to prayer and ask God for strength because you may be empty this morning. 
And you know what he's going to say? I, I want to give you a spoiler alert. He's going to give you the strength to wait. He's going to okay, wait patiently until he moves. Abraham didn't wait, and thousands of years later, we still are dealing with the ramifications. God can seem far away because we over-spiritualize it. God can seem far away because we are overlooking sin. But the third one is actually a good thing. All right, the reason why God may seem far away isn't anything wrong that you've done. Maybe something he's doing in and through you. And that's number three, is he's overseeing your growth. So 10 years later, Abraham and Sarai make a horrific mistake. So let's fast forward now to 14 years after that big mistake. 24 years after the original promise, God shows up again to Abram to remind him of his promise. Genesis chapter 18, verse 8. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I'll certainly come back to you in about a year's time. God's like, hey, it's 20 years later. Yeah, I'm gonna come back to you in a year. And in that year, your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in the years. They're about 100 now, 99 specifically. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Yeah, that's, a, that's an understatement. And so she laughed herself. After I'm worn out, my Lord so old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, I can really have a baby when I'm old. Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. In about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. By the way, when you read the whole narrative here, she laughs a lot, all right? She thinks this is ridiculous. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. Man, how often do we laugh at the promises of God? How often do we laugh at when God says things that just seem impossible? 24 years later, God shows up. We would consider that really late and really absurd. It's right on time. And one year later in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord came to Sarah, and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, Sarah became pregnant, and she bore a son to Abraham in the old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah born him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him, and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears it will laugh with me. Her laughter of mockery had turned into laughter in worship. God promised the impossible, but the impossible was fulfilled in God's own purpose, God's own timing, God's own way. Some of you might be thinking right now when you're waiting or wherever, however God is maybe seeming distant, why would God, a good God, just not fix what I'm going through? And I want you to know the circumstances that you find yourself in or the confusions that you find yourself in it is, not a, it is not a declaration that God is, is not good. It's a declaration that this world is fallen and we have a good God who's come to redeem it. Don't mistake our absence of understanding of what God is doing for his absence in existing and being present in your life. When we're at wit's end, our response isn't to show God a fist, but to lift our hands to him and say, God, I surrender. I surrender to your sovereignty, to your all-knowing nature, to your all-powerful. I surrender. Use me as a conduit to be naturally supernatural in this life. And God, I am not going to micromanage how this life should be. I'm going to submit how life is going to be and knowing that you're going to get full glory through me. 
And in knowing that, you know no circumstance can take away the love of God from you. No cancer can take the love of God from you. Divorce can't take a love of God from you. The, the season of your life cannot take away the love of God from you. Your jobs, your finances, your friendships cannot take away the love of God from you. And when you own that, you begin to realize just maybe you might be in a growing season and he's growing you for some incredible purpose. So run to God this morning. We believe God, he can intervene and provide. God is near, even when we don't feel it. Three things this morning, and then we're gonna pray. Three things to take home. Is there anything in your life that you've been over-spiritualizing? Because when you over-spiritualize something that's not from God, you're under-spiritualizing what God is doing, okay? Number one. Number two, what sin have you been overlooking? What sin has been overlooked in your life? And number three, where do you need to ask God for patience? Write those down if you don't have the answers right away. Some of you are thinkers and you slow drip it. All right, you can incorporate this part of your time just in prayer maybe tonight or as you go through your week. Take a picture if you need it. But let's pray because I believe that in this room, some of you are gonna sense the closeness of God for the first time in a long time. Some of you, you might not yet, but God is, is bringing you the foundation in your mind today that he is good, even when you don't feel it. For some of you, I believe that you're gonna give your life to Christ for the first time. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, we know that sometimes you feel distant. Sometimes for some people, they feel, they feel like you're distant more times than not. And God, I pray this morning, pray this morning, God, that you would reveal yourself to everybody in this room. Scripture says, we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. God, I just pray that we would draw near to you now. I pray, God, that we'd be patient in areas where we've been impatient with you. God, I pray that areas of where we've where we've been trying to force you to move in a certain area of your life, God, that we would not despiritualize what you're doing at the expense of what we want you to do. God, I pray that we be fully submissive, fully devoted followers of you. God, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. In fact, as we continue to pray this morning, I just wanted, I just wanted to say this to anybody in this room that maybe this, you're new to church or you're new to the things of God or you don't know where you stand with God. I want you to ask, answer this, this question to yourself. If you were to stand before Jesus today, would you know why you're going to heaven? Would you be confident that you're going to heaven? Would you be confident you're good with God? If the answer is no, or you're unsure, then you need to make certain today. You need to have what's called a personal relationship with Jesus. A personal relationship with Jesus isn't just knowing facts about Jesus. It isn't just attending church. It's actually making him personal in your life, and this is how you do this. You realize and recognize that God made you to have a relationship with him. You realize and recognize that you've done wrong in your life. And that wrong, that sin separates you from Almighty God. And you realize and you recognize that no religion or good work can get you to God through your own works. You realize and you recognize you need Jesus to rescue you. If you want a relationship with Jesus, place your faith and trust in him alone right now. Believe that he died on the cross to save you from your sins. Believe that he rose from the dead. 
Place your full faith and trust in him alone. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. So just tell him right now, Lord Jesus, save me. Place my full faith and trust in you alone. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, today you placed your faith and trust in Jesus or you made certain of it. If that is you, with no one looking around, we just slip up your hand. I just want to see you just so I can pray for you this week. Just lift up that hand right now up high. Say, yep, that's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus alone. I want to place my faith and trust in him. Today is the day that I'm going all in. Today is the day I'm saying yes to Jesus. All right, awesome. So, Father, we thank you for those today that you are moving in their hearts. We thank you today, God, that you are doing a special work. And, God, I pray for every woman in this room who's at different levels of feeling today. God, I pray they would know as their heavenly father, you love them, you cherish them, and you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.